Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. That was dreadful, wasn't it? Just as we seem to be making progress, just as things seem to be clicking into place, just as it seems Scott is settling on his favourite starting eleven, and just as Leeds were falling apart, Fulham ended their six-game undefeated run in spectacular fashion on Saturday as Barnsley stormed to a, quite frankly, well-deserved win against our soggy boys in white. Gerard Struber's side arrived at Craven Cottage rock-bottom in the Championship, having earned a single point in their last five games. And who else but Corley Woodrow, his first-half penalty and strike late on, together with Jacob Brown's early goal in the second half, ensured the Tykes have done the double on us this season and to claim that... <laughs> I can't believe it, to claim only their sixth win of the season. Luckily, other results kind of went our way, apart from Leeds picking up that win against Bristol City. So we still somehow remain in third place, just three points behind our Yorkshire counterparts. We're going to attempt to pick apart Saturday's performance, what went wrong, what needs to be addressed, and what we can expect against Derby on Friday. Now I've got a fantastic lineup for you today. Joining me tonight is... He delivers his words sweetly, it's Drew Heatley. Hello. He always gives it some welly, it's Jack Kelly. Good evening. And Fulham's most prolific swinger, it's George Singer. Thanks for that, George. (laughs) You're very welcome. He's got his head in his hands. <laughs> Great start. Thank you. Thank you very much. No worries. Should we uh, kick things off with some three-word reviews? Drew, if you would like to do the honours, sir. Absolutely. There are so many across. Uh, we're going to look at Instagram and Twitter today. And as after any loss, there are a few. George Cooper, you've printed out loads again. Um, I'm going to pick my favourite, if that's okay. My favourites. There are a few. Uh, we've got Playoff Anxiety Imminent from Dingus Dangus. Good, uh, good handle there. Uh, we've got Nightmare Goalkeeping Day from Moran Mo Problems. Uh, it sums up Rodak's afternoon. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, we've got Get a Grip from Glenn Come On You Whites, which actually, you know, I think is going to be a good theme about today because trying to pitch what happened is, uh, is it, it, with a bit of perspective is quite difficult. Uh, on to Twitter, you've got Sol Bamba, of course, uh, with Still Third How. Uh, which you touched on, and Can't Blame Dennis, which I would have liked more if uh, there had been a typical Adoy blunder, but uh, that was left for um, our good friend Marek uh, on Saturday. Uh, Gale Force Woodrow, which I loved, from James Dalton. And uh, The Roddy Horror Show from Andrew Towner, which, uh, again, touches on our, our goalkeeper's howling, howling day. Uh, somewhat understandably, a lot of them focusing on our goalkeeper's performance. As expected... I have to say, I, I feel like you've got to take his performance into perspective somewhat and I don't want to be too harsh in criticising him because when you think about the points that he's earned us this season, it might be a bit kind of slanderous to jump on his back after one bad performance. But it, it has to be said he had a part to play in all three goals. How do you summarise what was ultimately a forgettable day for our number 12, Jack? Um, well, I guess he's kind of allowed a bad game. I've, like you said, after all the points he's got us, I thought... He was so naive in coming out for the second goal when the angle wasn't really on for whoever was on the ball at the time. I think it might have been Brown who put it away. Um, no need to come out. And with the, with the first one, probably the win plays a part. He doesn't get the ball and, and he takes his man down. Horror show for the third as well. Poor positioning and just miserable. 
mm. measurable. I mean, you, you, you touched on it there, the, the conditions, and we're walking to the ground thinking that these can't be much worse for a goalkeeper. Mm. And we saw it when, you know, the ball literally slipped out of his hand for the first goal. And then I, I, the thing, the cause that was real concern for me was, as you said, as he came out, do you think this is just, we can just write this off as a bad day at the office for him? Or do you think he showed signs of, you know, maybe he's not the keeper we thought he was? No, I think, I think since he's come into the team, he's been so surprisingly good that he has probably allowed a one-off, but it's just the amount of blunders he made, you know, all three, contributing to all three goals. Um, it is worrying, but it's not going to be one that where Bettinelli comes back in for the game against Derby, I don't think. I think, yeah, I think we've got to be really careful with uh, with the being even-handed with criticism about Rodak, because I think, sure, he was at fault for all three goals, but yeah, as you say, he's allowed a bad day and he's had one, and that is it. I think we brush that, we, we brush it aside and we, we move on. It, you know he he wins us all those points this season. He you know when he since he's come in, so I'm loath to uh, to criticise him too much. One point I did realise is obviously uh, when he got sent off as against Borough, yeah. uh, it, it was another charge, wasn't it? He does love a charge, an ill-time charge, which you know is every 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 goalkeeper has a chink in their armour, so maybe that's his. Um, but it was interesting to see the parallels. But other than that, I I really don't want to go too hard on Rodak because he's a fantastic keeper and we're lucky to have him, I think. Yeah, no, I think I think that sentiment would be echoed amongst the vast majority of Fulham fans. And we can only hope that, you know, Park has a word with him and the team are behind him and say, you know, put it behind you and then next game onwards and upwards kind of thing. I did notice... It was such a bad day at the office, but there are a couple of running themes that we've touched upon previously in the podcast that seem to chime this Saturday just gone. Fulham at three o'clock home fixtures and also failure to come from behind. Mm. George, what do you think is at the root of this problem? I think you've got to you've got to take a look at the midfield, really. It felt like Barnsley, even even though they're they're at the bottom of the league there. They're a fairly smart side. They've got some some clever guys running the show there, and they clearly did their homework on Fulham. As we saw a few tweets out from their manager, and they they found out that by doing a, a bit of pressing when our defence had the ball, or when sitting back just cutting off those passing lanes, they really strangled the midfield out the game. And I think that's where, as players like Tom Kenny or Mitrovic, as the leaders of the squad, they've got to they've got to move around a bit more. They've got to really fight for the space and. You know, they really struggled to do that. And I thought Tom Kearney, you know, when he got subbed off, like, how often do you see your captain get subbed off like on the 50th minute? You know, that's that's not a good sign. But I think he, I think Parker made the right call there. I think TC really struggled to run the game from midfield. And, you know, if you look at the passing map, which we uh, put out earlier today, you know, normally you see so much coming through the midfield, through Arta, Reed, Kearney, whoever's playing there. And this time there was absolutely nothing. Like they really struggled to 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 um to control the game from midfield and I think you've got to give Barnsley a, a fair bit of credit for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you touched upon Kenny there and we're going to come on to him a bit later on because we've had a few questions via email uh, regarding him and his leadership and his captaincy, but you touched upon that Barnsley had done their homework and had made a few tactical decisions that ultimately led to their victory. And it was a very that's not take anything away from Barnsley it was a very accomplished and they did a number on us essentially do you think it's concerning the fact that the team who are very bottom of the league are able to completely undo us with what was essentially a few long balls over the top Drew 
Yeah, I think uh, it's a it's a huge problem. I think that we've spoke about it before a couple of weeks ago that you know you see the real test of a of a coach when you when you're the chips are down and you have to try and change a game and we haven't seen that from Parky. He's he you know we've scored when we scored first we've ended up winning and that's created a sort of an almost a fragile veneer of success. Um, it's it's kind of difficult to get your head around, but you know we're up there in third, but when you really dig down behind it, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot there to, to be happy about. And that's like, I think that's what's most worrying from, for me and Barnsley exploited it. I think we should have done our homework. I think we knew from the opening day when we went to Barnsley that they pressed us high and they caused us so many issues and we just let the same thing happen again. It's almost like we just turned up and assumed we were going to win. That's not the attitude to have, um, especially when Wigan can beat Leeds away. I'm very disappointed in the way that we approached the game. We didn't attack from the front. We let Barnsley have the game and we were absolutely horrendous. I think what's really disappointing to see is there's just no clear philosophy or identity to the team. It seems one week we try and play like Barcelona and think about the Millwall game earlier in the season where we basically broke Opta with the amount of passes we had. And then fast forward to this game and it's just long balls up to Mitrovic. You know, it really doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like a, a team. It seems like 11 really well-paid, high-quality individuals. And like Drew said, every so often... Uh, a Cavallero screamer or a, or a knock, knockout curler can gets the three points, but there's no real. It doesn't feel like there's a plan. It doesn't feel like there's an identity. And you know, to me, I, I think a lot of that's got to come down to the inexperience of Scott Parker. Yeah, I, it, I saw an interesting tweet come in when we put out the request for for questions for this pod. It was a guy called Daniel. Forgive me, I, I don't. He didn't have his surname on it, but we've only scored two goals from one on ones this season. Cav versus Millwall and AK versus QPR. Surely this means we aren't running in behind anywhere near enough and we are way too predictable to defend against. And I think that's a very valid point. Would you agree? I think so. I mean, it would be interesting to see what the baseline is and what other teams do there. But it, it seems to be the case. And I think, especially with a with a guy like Mitrovic up front, you know, we, we've got to play to his strengths to a degree, but we don't see that a huge amount. I mean the where he's best is kind of those one-on-ones big tussles against defenders and yeah sometimes we'll do a long ball to him from Rodak but we very rarely create good opportunities for Mitrovic in the box you know we very rarely give him a chance to really express himself and uh, you know for for the wingers for Cav for Knockart you know they're I, I still think they're great players and on their day they're superb match winners but you know, we're not really playing into their hands at all. Again, it doesn't feel like there's a real plan for the team. Um, it just feels like chucking eleven a random eleven players on each week and seeing what happens. Yeah, I think uh, teams are built in the sort of the shape of their of the manager and how the, you know if their manager was a player, then you can see the you can see the parallels in their playing career. And 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 I don't watch many uh, pre and post match manager interviews on the on the videos, but I've caught a few this season of Scott, and he just he's always talking about passion and intangibles and there's all of this there's all of this sort of blood and thunder and gusto from him but there's never any sort of talk about tactics or any sort of talk about the actual work that goes in on the pitch and it's very strange and and I think you know we're not people talk about oh new for, for example Newcastle United fans are just as long as their team gives it their all then everyone's happy but it's yeah. never been that way down here it's never been that way at Fulham and we like teams to have an identity to have a play a certain way and you know to show a little bit of footballing tactical nous and I don't think we've we don't have that identity we don't have that nous in the dugout um and as I've mentioned that that veneer of success that's the reason why Scott's still here but I think it's a it's a it's a house of cards and at the moment you know one uh Barnsley have shown how to how to let it fall 
is that it's that inconsistency it's that not knowing what size you're going to get each week and it, it seemed as if we things were starting to click into place and we were getting closer and closer to that winning formation and the best that we have at our hands and then all of a sudden it, we just seem to be back to square one yeah but we didn't we haven't played well as a unit in in since derby at home we play well in bits defensively and and then because we're defending a lead we don't give enough in attack so we haven't actually played well for 90 minutes as a unit in in, in too long of, of a time and we're throwing the table I don't even know how it's been the strangest season I've ever experienced at Fulham. <laughs> no, it's an odd one. And you say that you haven't seen us play well since Derby at home. Well, let's hope we can put it right yeah. against Derby away this Friday. <laughs> and I just wanted to touch about something uh, that was brought to my attention that, I mean, I don't sit in the Hammersmith end anymore, but we've always relied on them to be our kind of driving force at home matches. We've had a few, a few comments here and there about the atmosphere this year and whether it has suffered and whether overall as a fan base we are fully behind this team have you noticed any changes in the games that you've been to drew i don't know I mean, it, could, it doesn't stand have anything to do with it i'm not sure i think there's a i think obviously there's been a lot talked about the away support and that that core group there and i think uh, you're naturally going to have a more of a camaraderie and a more of a, a, a singing sort of stance on those away games but at home games maybe they're not taken as seriously by some of the younger lads who were the best at drumming on atmosphere. I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers because you know I'm not. I'm hardly <laughs> Pavarotti when it comes to being on the Amazon FM. But like, we do rely on that that core group of which you're one of them, J.K. So you you're probably best to answer the question. To be um, fair. I think I don't really enjoy home games um, as much as away games. I, I always find that someone's already standing in my seat, so I'm always a couple of rows ahead. So probably gonna have to change seats for next season. Um, I just don't feel the buzz. I only like night games. Three o'clock's are rubbish. The atmosphere is terrible. Uh, and if we're losing, it's kind of toxic. So I don't really enjoy it. I think there's something to be said as well. It's about when uh, Woodrow scored a second and Barnsley's third, about 80 minutes in, half the stadium left. Well, I left, uh, I left. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Half the stadium just left with 10 minutes left. And for the last 10 minutes, there was no one around. It felt like a training match. There was no <laughs> atmosphere at all. It was really quite eerie. And yeah, the guys who did leave, like, I can't blame them can't blame them at all no I was about to say I don't think anyone can be guys too much and the fact the fact that it was so obvious that we weren't going to come back into this match you know it's not as if we give a really spirited second half performances and, and hit the bar and come anywhere close to troubling them we, I mean I think we only had about seven shots on target for the whole game and out of them the ones that there's one that I can think of in which the keeper was troubled, which was Mitrovic's effort early doors. But mm. I, I, I don't think you can blame anyone for. And I never leave early, but on Saturday, as soon as Cooley Woodrow scored, I was like, I, I can't, I can't be doing this anymore. It, it felt quite obvious, and if we can get on to Scott's subs, obviously we mentioned a couple of them. But for me, the weirdest one was taking off Stephen Sessegnon for Abu, and not not necessarily the sub, but the fact that we were just playing without a right back. And for 20-odd minutes, it wasn't like the back, the three of them shifted across into a central back three. We were back four just without a right back. Yeah. And no one was there. Arta was dropping back a little bit. But they attacked us on that left wing time and time and time again. And it was so obvious. There was so much free space. And that's, that's where the third goal came from. That's where Corley Woodrow just poked his head up, saw the space and just went for it. And I, I just can't, even if you're chasing a game, I just can't see how you can be that naive to leave a, a really crucial space absolutely empty. It's bizarre. Uh, is that is that Scott Parker's managerial ethos in a substitution though? Like uh, you know, putting on somebody who's renowned for his 
his blood and thunder and his and his passion. It's a word we've used a lot this season uh, at the for, at the sort of the sake of a basic tactical shape. It it feels like you know when you're ten or fifteen year olds and you play championship manager or whatever, yeah, you're yeah. losing two 0 You're saying, oh fuck it, let's just chuck all my strikers on and see if I can get back. Like it's, I I just can't can't see any other experienced football manager making that kind of call I just yeah, it's just madness or inexperienced because you know we can see it and you know we know a lot of people who are you know I think know a fair bit about football and you just I mean it's, it's a one on one isn't it I mean you don't even need to know a lot to do that to, to, to you know leave a gap on that side so that is the yeah the biggest surprise uh, the biggest sort of concern for me is is the red flags that we're, we're that we're seeing from Parker and you know, people leaving on the, uh, you know, after the Barnsley third goals, Corley uh, Woodrow's second, it's it's indicative of how it's very difficult to judge this season. It's very difficult to judge this team. It's very difficult to get any perspective on, on things because we are third, but also we are woeful. And, you know, and you've got K-Mac making a great point of, look, it's one game, calm down. But It's not one game because we lost a hole. Yeah, we're talking that. about the red flags that we're seeing and, and how do you, what is a, what is the best take and the best perspective on this team in this season? It's so, it's so difficult to put your finger on it. It is, it's so hard to put a finger because it's just been a total lack of consistency and it goes on to what we were talking about earlier about that we have no identity which you're going into this point and you can go on runs undefeated in this league. I think it's such as testament to maybe the lack of quality in this championship year as a whole compared to previous years that we are still in it and I think that that's the one positive that we've got to take going into uh, the game on Friday is that we are still in it we're only three points off the automatic mm. promotion somehow nobody quite realises how and you know we just got to hope that Scott learns with each game that we have and you know learns you'd have hoped that we would have been at a more advanced point at this part of the season but you know we're still in this position now and it's still there for the taking Sorry, I was just going to say that every, nearly every team in the top six, I think Bar Brentford has gone on like a two or three or four losing run and they're still in the top six. It's madness. It's crazy. I think just to be clear, at least from my point of view, I don't really blame Scott. Like he's, a, he's an inexperienced guy. I genuinely think he's going to be a really good manager in the future. He's got a lot to learn, but I think he does have some of the skills and he, he definitely uh, commands, a, commands a dressing room. But for me, this has got to come down to the guys putting him in charge. I mean, if you're investing so much money in Mitrovic, Knockart, Cavallero, all these guys, you're putting together, you know, probably the best squad the championship's ever seen. Or I'm probably saying that. It's a quite a big claim. It's, up there, it's, yeah. a, it's a big claim. But And then you put a, a rookie in charge of managing them. Like, if you're going to invest so much in all these areas, why are you not investing in a top-class manager? Like, why, why would you just settle for someone who... I guess people like him and he did a fairly good job in the in the Premier League but it just doesn't make like business sense really. I guess you would argue, argue that they see him as somebody who has an awful lot of potential and can grow with this side but it's it's an interesting point because obviously I think Scott Parker was one of the Khan's first signings was it as a player mm. or was he there did he predate the Khan? No no he was it was the uh, that same And season, obviously yeah. they've installed him so he obviously has a, a very good relationship with the Khan's and do you think that in any other circumstance, a manager at this point with the money that's been spent wouldn't have been given as much time. I think I think with Parker, we've made um, a Solskjaer esque decision of capturing a moment. We, we 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 appointed him after we won a few games in a season where there were no games, and we were like, you know, we were like just a beaten down sort of entity at that point, and we and we made that decision. And I think now we've made a rod for our own back because, you know, 
we've got this inexperienced coach who's finding his feet, which is great, but we spent the majority of last season trying to get our house in order in, at 100 miles an hour in the Premier League and look where that ended up. And if we end up going up via the playoffs or via the automatics, then you've got a really difficult decision to make anyway because are you going to go into the Premier League season with Scott Parker at the helm? If you're going to be a ruthless businessman, you've got to say no. But that's a decision that we've now got to make whether it goes well or whether it doesn't. If it goes, if we don't go up, then he's gone anyway, and he's because he's not fulfilled, mm. not fulfilled his job. But I don't know. There's questions to be asked, and we've made a rod for our own back there. I think he's got a point to prove with these remaining 15 games, is it that we have so far in the season, and then add, add the couple on on the playoff. He's got a point to prove in the way that we dictate ourselves in these games, whether or not he's going to have a future club promotion or otherwise. Yeah, I think if we don't go up, he's he's got to go because obviously I think yeah. it's, it was Monte Carlo or bust this year, and uh, you know we saw that with the signs we made and everything that we've done. Um, but if we do go up, obviously you know I think you, there's going to be a strong argument to say give him his chance in the Premier League. But I don't know. We always say is there room for sentiment in the game, and I'd say it'd be. I've seen too many red flags to think that it'd be a good idea. All interesting point, Jet. Let's put it behind us. You know, move onwards and upwards, and uh, we're going to come back with a few of your listener questions after this short message. Don't go anywhere. If you enjoy Fulhamish and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a positive rating and review. It really helps us to reach new Fulham fans across the world. If you don't use Apple but want to give us a review, head to the Fulhamish Facebook page and give us a rating there instead. Thank you. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Drew Healy. Hello. Jack Kelly. Good evening. And George Singer. Hello. Right, we're going to have a look at your listener questions now. And we've had a few over email and a few via Twitter. So a massive thank you to anyone who got in touch. Um, I wanted to pick this one out because it's, it's something that's been concerning me for the last uh, few weeks. And this was a point raised by Tom Hopkins. He goes, hi, guys. Do we have the worst captain in the championship? Embarrassing the way he has no influence on the squads. He has to be changed and dropped and sold. So that was from Tom. I think uh, he, he's made his, he made his stance on this pretty clear. Like, there's the, the atmosphere in the room has uh, led to suggest that maybe he's being a bit strong. I mean, regardless of his footballing ability, there's no doubt that he's one of our most talented players. But in terms of, I wanted to focus mainly on his body attitude and his ability to rile up the players when, when we need leadership. I just haven't seen, for me, I just haven't seen it this year. He doesn't, it's almost as if he doesn't seem interested. That's, I mean, that's just my opinion, Drew. Would you agree or... For me, the, the, there's two types of captain. There's there's one that leads with their mouth and there's one that leads by example. And I think we've got one that leads by example on the pitch when he has a good game. But the problem with Kearney is that if he's nullified, which people can teams can sometimes do, then he's rendered ineffective. Then he's ineffective as a captain because he doesn't necessarily have that shouting side. It was the same when we had Lewis Balmorte as our captain. He was never a talker. He was a player. And people looked up, his teammates looked up to him and followed him, uh, led by his example on the pitch. So it's a difficult one. We have captains on the pitch that don't necessarily have the armband. Would Mitrovic be any different if he had the armband? Probably not. He wouldn't be a different player. He wouldn't be uh, any less, any more passionate or any less, uh, or any more sort of jeeing other players up. Now we've got Kamek on the pitch. We've got a similar thing. Are these players going to do more if they're given the armband? And if so, then why don't they do it anyway? That would be my argument. But for Kearney, I think he's, um, yeah, he's, he's one that leads by example, but he gets caught out. And then when he does, it does, does, does go wrong. He's, he's stifled. But I, you know, I think he's obviously, Tom's uh, nailed his colours to the mast there. So I would say we need to scale that back a bit and uh, give Kearney a bit, of, cut Kearney a bit of slack. But uh, Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. But would you, would you if regardless of uh, the previous... You know, the contract that we've given him and the history of the club, if you look at this 
squads and the personalities that go with it, would you put Kane as your captain? I think if you're saying regard if we if you're saying there's no repercussions then which obviously there are uh, then maybe not but there are so it kind of for me is a moot point we'd never take it off him because if you take it off him you're saying that he's got to go um is he the best captain i i, I prefer somebody who leads with their mouth I, I like a talker on the pitch i like somebody who does the the intangibles you know we talked about scott that's what he talks about so it does strike me as strange that he hasn't got a captain in that mold but no I can't see us taking it off him. I don't think we should take him off him in reality. Would I have him as my captain? Probably not. Okay. What do you think, Jack? I think it'll be interesting to see what he says on the Monday night fix tonight, what kind of persona he'll have. He's never really been the, yeah, the talker of a captain. I'd rather that be Mitrovic or K-Mac, but to keep him happy. And, you know, he's pretty much all FC at the moment. So um, <laughs> we should have to let it be. I, I, I don't think we should sell him. I think that's a, that's a silly point. I, I don't think even if we don't go up, I think he'll still stay. He settled here in London. I wouldn't change a thing, which is a shame because I would rather a better captain. Um, I think we we have to note that obviously there's a lot more to a captain than what you just see on the pitch. There's a lot of stuff in the dressing room and we'll never see what really goes in there. And, you know, perhaps he does do a lot more talking in there. Um, For me, I I think all the armband really does is it's just a, it's really to, to show a role model for the fans. Like it doesn't, putting an armband on one player or taking him off another doesn't isn't going to impact their game too much. It's more of kind of showing the role model of the club and what we want to be. And when you look at the type of player that Kearney is, and we saw it at the weekend where, you know, if things weren't quite going his way and he was being marked out of the game, he's not the kind of guy to really pick the game by the scruff of the neck and move around more and force himself back into the game. So, you know, if I was taking over Fulham, if I was Fulham manager at the start of the season... I'd probably look at giving it to someone else, but I think the damage it would do to take it off someone mid-season, um, you, you know, it's it's not really worth that. So in my mind, let keep it with him for the rest of the season. If we get a new signing in who's more of a natural captain, then great, move it on to them. And yeah, hopefully that'll be the case. Yeah, no, true. I, all very valid points, gents. And I think the take-home message is let's, let's just hope that he finds that form that we know that he's capable of because he is a player that when everything's, you know, when he's running off all engines, he's fantastic and he brings so much to the side. I just I feel like with, with this slight dip in form, whatever you want to call it, and when his shoulders drop, it's hard to, for him to get back into it. But I don't think there's any question that we should take it off him because as you said Drew that would be detrimental and it would cause more problems than you know that it ultimately would solve I guess so yeah let's move on questions from James Brody do you think Parker takes too much criticism I have seen on social media after every defeat that he should get sacked and he has no experience if players don't turn up and be counted as K-Max suggests then even the best tactics in the world aren't going to work. So I guess ultimately this is a question of do you think the responsibility of these results, and uh, there's limits to these results because at the end of the day we, we are still third and it's not as if we're you know fighting relegation, but do you think that these results need to be blamed on the players or, or, or do you think it's down to Scott Parker's inexperience? I think if you had the odd one-off game which goes badly, then it, it comes down to the players. And we saw that with Slav. There were some games where we were dreadful under under Slavisa, but it always felt like we were building towards something bigger. And it always felt like even though you had the odd dip, you were moving in the right direction. And I think Jack was was bang on that this isn't this wasn't just one game. This is lots of games of kind of squeaky one-nil wins where we didn't necessarily deserve to win. 
you know, this, this has been a long time coming. This has been a, a long term trend that we haven't really seen that, that style. And to me, that that's not a player thing. That's a, that's a head coach thing. That's him not stamping his identity um, and him not really having a plan. So for me, I, I think it does come down, Scott. What do you think, Drew? I think when you see the signs when we're winning, um, you can see the signs that it might be Scott. Uh, you take that into account when it's the losses, right? So we, you know, even when we're winning, we can see that there's something not right um, from the glaringly obvious errors to, to to certain subtle things about you know our identity and the way we like the games we played and the way we think teams should play. So I think he does get too much criticism in the sense that he's a young coach and he's going to be a lightning rod for that um he's also uh going to be in for a lot of criticism because he's not slav um and there's still a huge slav bias among the fan base and you know we all loved him um but you know there is that there as well so he does take more criticism than another coach in his position would but i just don't think he's immune to it either or he should be shouldn't be immune to it either yeah no very valid points and on on this very point uh greg grimmer Thank you for getting in touch. He's emailed in saying, can we please just never speak of Barnsley again? Instead, look forward to what one tactical change Scott Parker needs to make to appease the Scott Parker out brigade. So it's quite a difficult question in essence, but if if you had to distill it down to that one tactical change that Scott's got to make, what would you say, or let's rephrase it, what would you say is the most glaring one that he's not getting right at the moment, would you say? Well, we would kill teams off. We've got a team with so much potential in the attack. We score one and we play five at the back. Why don't you just go on and try and get two or three like we did under Slav? I don't like making those comparisons because it's very boring. (laughs) I mean, fair enough. (laughs) But yeah, would you say it just ultimately comes down to not killing teams off? I think it's it's some kind of attacking plan. Um, when, When we're in attack, I don't often see kind of like, obviously football's a fluid game and you can't prepare for everything on the training pitch, but the best teams out there have set plays they have set runs that their players do they draw defenses out they squeeze defenses in um and they're either working towards for instance a boring comparison maybe under slav we had a, a clear tactic of get the ball out for a low cross in by fredericks and that that was a clear plan and you saw we had a clear way of doing that and it was really effective but we never really see that we just see you know these expensive players getting the ball past to knock up for instance Everyone around him is stationary, so Knockart will do what Knockart does: is cut back in and try and score a weldy. You know, there's no, there's no kind of running, there's no planning in attack. Um, yeah, for me, that's probably the most glaring one. Uh, not necessarily, not necessarily a huge glaring error, perhaps, but something that I would like to see more is to free up the fullbacks to play with a bit more abandon than as they used to, because I think we've seen that both Brian and Christie are quite threatening going forward but when it comes to their defensive uh, responsibilities they struggle a bit more Um, so you know if you look at the back in in the past when we had uh, bombing on fullbacks a bit more that 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 worked quite well for us as you mentioned the plan about Fredericks and I just think that'd be quite it'd be quite a more effective use for both of them we're talking about trying to replace Brian but there's not really anyone to Mm. do it why don't we try and play to his strengths a bit more even if it's just in the short term and then we assess things in the summer maybe yeah, so all very valid points. I think that with the run of fixtures that we've got coming up, it's a very short time frame that we've got 
to sort of address these issues. So if we look at the uh, the next games that we've got, we've obviously got Derby, and then we've got to play Leeds, Forest, West Brom, Bristol City, Brentford. Uh, this is a question from Archie Rintut on um, Twitter, and it's, he's asked it in a form of a competition. So how many points do you think we will take from these games? So Leeds, Forest, West Brom, Bristol City and Brentford. Closest gets a pint. He's gone for four, which is, uh, I would argue, quite pessimistic, but... What are we going for? I mean, the incredibly tough fixtures that we've got coming up. And it's, it's interesting because I saw another, uh, someone else on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but he said that we always match our opposition. Mm. So whoever we're up against, we will play to their level, which is just, it's a really weird thing that just we seem to do. It, it, I don't know what causes it. Maybe it's just because we've got the quality of player that when they're up toe-to-toe against other quality players, they automatically like their game. Or whether it's a, a mentality issue in that when you we're playing lesser opposition such as Barnsley, you know, your expectations dropped. I don't know what it is. So, I mean, with that in mind, hopefully, I'm, I would say, probably more confident than most because we do tend to, okay, well, we have known to show up for these big games. But, I mean... It's it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So how many how many points were you going for, Drew? Would you say? I'm going to sound like a right fence sitter, but seven sounds about right to me. The, with just a quick point on the running is that you know you we've definitely got the hardest for sure. But I guess that you could flip that on its head and play glass half full and say you could make the most impact with those wins. You know, mm. you're beating Leeds, you're beating Brentford, you're beating. West Brom you're gaining on them so we could actually do the most damage and move the most places having said that I'm not sure we necessarily will so yeah seven seems about right to me which probably isn't good enough for the automatic places yeah I lost a lot of confidence with Fulham after this weekend but uh, we do raise our game against the bigger bigger sides bigger teams on that basis I I think we'll get eight points I think we'll win two and draw two and, and, and lose another one Oh, I'm in Archie's camp here. I'm, I'm far more pessimistic <laughs> than you guys. I think a, a few of the guys, for instance, the match against Leeds early on the season, yeah, we beat them, but, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, we, we struggle a lot more in that game. Um, I think Leeds are much better side than Fulham. I think Brentford are a much better side than Fulham. I think West Brom are too. Um, most times we play them, we're probably probably going to lose. Um, you know, we it's it, it's impossible to predict, but... Um, um, what did Archie go for? Four. Mm. I'll go for five just to go one up on him. All right. Okay. In the, in the interest of uh, spread, I'm going to go for. So we've got how many do you have, Drew? I said seven. Seven. Eight. Eight. Five. Five. Archie's oh, gone for four. And bear in mind, this is we've got a pint going up for grabs on this. I'm I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for six. I think we're going to win two and then lose three. And I'm not just saying that so that I've actually got a chance of winning this. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so moving on, we're going to uh, wrap up fairly soon, I would imagine. But Brett's puns in- raises an interesting point, saying, has anyone else noticed the frustration from Mitro? Really hope this isn't turning into a Berbatov situation. I mean, I would argue it's not quite got to that. Um, <laughs> so has anyone else picked up on any sort of maybe attitude issues with Berbatov? I mean, sorry, Mitrovic. Even you're doing it now, look. <laughs> If you are with my nerdy statsy brain on, uh, if you look at the passing map recently, Mitrovic has really been kind of starved of possession recently. Uh, used to see him linking up with the midfield quite a lot. And recently he's felt pretty isolated. Um, whether that's his fault or the midfielder's fault, it's probably a bit of both. It's, it's a sign that he's probably... You know, once you start to get isolated, maybe you try too hard, maybe you get frustrated, you snatch at shots, 
you're less likely to score and it's a bit of a vicious cycle. So I think there's certainly some evidence to suggest that he's uh, not putting the stamp on games that he wants. Um, I haven't seen any more than that. Considering his background, you know, we haven't seen him as feisty as we've perhaps seen him before, but, you know, maybe it's going that way. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he w- he's a player who wears his heart on his sleeve. And it, I mean, it's quite telling the fact that he's been starved for possession because that suggests that players are looking at the way we play and cutting off show those channels to our most potent attacking outlet. So yeah. maybe that's more it, cause concern. Even if he's starved of possession, he is against Blackburn. He didn't have much of the ball and he's the one who got the match winner. Like he, he if he's on the pitch, get a chance, he will score. And he, he probably went as mental when he scored uh, that goal against Blackburn as, as we did up in the stands. But um, no, honestly, I, I haven't seen any frustration from him. I think 21 goals is the return that we were pretty much expecting from him this season, if not better. And hopefully he can get up to 30 before the end of the season. I think he's been terrific. And this whole, you know, lack of possession, but... You know, if he if he gets the chances, like I said, he he will score them. Give him the ball and he will score. Right, anyway, lads, onwards and upwards. What are we doing watching the match on? Anyone going to the game on Friday? Do I am, yes. Can um, count on Mr. Yeah. Reliable over here. A few pints before and some disappointment afterwards, probably. <laughs> so get some nice fast food like I did on Saturday to cheer myself up. Come on, a bit of positive attitude, mate. No, I'm actually, you know what? My childhood hero is Wayne Rooney, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Oh, good stuff. Last yeah, of chance. course. I, I still, that still hasn't quite sunk in yet. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that Wayne Rooney is at Derby and doing quite well he seems to be playing well recently I have an issue with it though because obviously he's got number 32 shirt and their sponsor is 32 red so there's a whole gambling oh, yeah, thing behind it so which I'm actually doing my dissertation on so actually I find that call quite interesting but hopefully uh, hopefully he doesn't bag a goal but hopefully he gets to play onwards and upwards let's hope for three points and a return to winning ways for Fulham one last thing to do and that's to name the pods uh, Drew would you like to do the honours sir yeah do you know what there's one on your extensive list that I missed out the first time around but I saw it earlier and I can't stop thinking about it I think it's great uh, and it's from Alistair underscore Nemo and it's Woodrow Believe It there we go Woodrow very Believe good. It thanks very, very much for listening guys uh, you've been listening to the Fulhamish podcast I've been George Cooper and I've been joined by George Singer thank you Jack Kelly chin up Fulham fans <laughs> Andrew Heatley new whites alright tune in next week see you soon bye bye Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. <laughs>